January 1st, 1892, Ellis Island became the first reception center for new immigrants into the United States. On February the 2nd, 1892, Harry Sharp and Frank Cosby fought the longest boxing, mat, boxing match under modern rules, going at it for 77 rounds. On March 11, 1892, the first public basketball game was held, although it didn't happen in Lexington, Kentucky. <laughs> On April 15, 1892, General Electric Company was, was formed. On May the 20th, 1892, George Sampson patented the electric clothes dryer. On June 8, 1892, Homer Plessy refused to set in a segregated railroad car, which resulted in the famous case of Plessy versus Ferguson. On July 10th, 1892, the first concrete paved street was opened in Baltimore, Maryland. On August 2nd, 1892, Charles Wheeler patented a prototype of the escalator. On September the 26th, 1892, John Philip Sousa's marching band made their first public appearance. On October 1st, 1892, the University of Chicago opened its doors. On October the 5th, 1892, the Dalton Gang attempted a bank robbery in Coffeyville, Kansas that ended with a shootout. On October 6, 1892, the famous English poet Alfred Tennyson wrote The Charge of the Light Brigade. He passed away in a, at age of uh, 83. On October 8, 1892, Sergei Rachmaninoff first performed Prelude in C-sharp minor in the city of Moscow. On October 10, 1892, the entire Hong Kong national cricket team died in a shipwreck off the coast of Taiwan. On October the 12th, 1892, the Pledge of Allegiance was first recited in public schools. On October 18th, 1892, the first commercial long-distance phone line was opened. It ran from Chicago to New York. On October the 25th, 1892, English actor Leo Carroll was born. And on Sunday, October 30th, 1892, a new church was dedicated in the area of Breckenridge County, Kentucky, that was formerly known as Jolly Station. Well, good morning. What a morning we've had and, and, and are going to have and anticipate just being a wonderful day here at Corinth. Um, I'm going, as they were talking about the, the days of, of history around that era, I'm also going to tell you about the music. Uh, I have a letter here from, uh, I'd like to read. It says, uh, please, no more hymns. What's wrong with the inspiring, no more new hymns. What's wrong with the inspiring hymns we grew up with? When I, went to when I go to church, it's to worship God, not to be distracted with learning new hymns. Last week's new hymn was particularly unnerving. While the text was good, the tune was quite unsingable and the harmonies quite discordant. <laughs> this letter quoted, I qu found this, it's a quote, uh, and the song this man was talking about, was this, was, this note he wrote in 1890 was about what a friend we have in Jesus. 
Yes. And this morning, we are going to sing contemporary praise and worship music from the 1890s. Would you please stand and join us in when we all get to heaven? Good morning. We are privileged this morning to have with us a few of our former pastors, and I want to introduce to you this morning uh, our, the first one that will be coming and sharing with you. They're gonna, each going to come and share a little bit about what they're doing now, and then also uh, going to share with you uh, some stories uh, from their time here at Corinth. And so uh, the first one that will be coming, I won't mention the fact that uh, he began as your pastor the same year that I was born, <laughs> but i um, very pleased to have with us this morning uh, Pastor Mike Gray. Mike, will you come? I can't see anybody for the bright lights, but if you'll come. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, sir. It is a joy to be with you today and to share with you just a few memories. I was with you for some, was asking from 1978 to 83. Five very joyful years that I remember very fondly. Both our girls, Laura and Kristen, were born while we were here. We lived in the parsonage in those days, and you befriended a young minister who was green and needed lots of experience. You gave it to me in many different ways. 
I'm currently at Newington Baptist Church in Gloucester, Virginia, and y'all pray for my church. They're in the midst of Sandy today, and uh, it was very hard for me to stay and not go back to be there with them in the midst of the storm. But God is always good and is always helping us through storms in life, isn't he? One of the strongest memories that I have um, was a time in which our church was struggling, built a new building, and joined together mightily in that uh, building process. And you had the sanctuary up, and uh, the educational wing was just being finished when I arrived. And as, as I came and got to meet you and, and to share in many of the joys of living in Breckenridge County, I, I sensed there was, there was some discord here in the church, and there was some struggles that were going on, and it was a joyful, joyful event for me as well as for this church in which everybody was crying shaking hands, hugging necks uh, on a day in which two men who had grown up side by side reconciled together a long time difference and became one as a part of the church family all over again. It was a highlight of the five years that I spent here as I shared with you. After I left, I went to a church just outside of Washington, D.C., God does have a sense of humor to take me from the country to the city and uh, to an urban-type environment where it was my privilege to lead National Gardens Baptist Church for nine years and to uh, be a part of a multi-ethnic church starting uh, two new congregations, both Hispanic and Vietnamese, within our building and seeing the church grow in the midst of a time in which some weren't. What a joy that was. After nine years, we left to go to Gloucester, Virginia, which is in Tidewater, um, just off of the Chesapeake Bay. And uh, many of you know that I I like water and I like fishing. Uh, One of the funniest incidences of my fishing here was with Kenny Basham. Uh, Kenny had a little John boat, and we went down to a pond on some land that they had, and We put it in. It was a cold March day, and um, I didn't like just sitting on the the, uh, metal seats and so had found some inexpensive plastic seats that I'd put on there, and and, um, I thought I'd fastened them down as hard as I could. And and we got it to fishing, and and Kenny landed a little, uh, hooked into a little bass, and he did it the typical bass fisherman hook and yanked back really, really hard. And in so doing, pushed against that seat, and the seat came off, and he and the seat went rolling right out in the pond. (laughs) Kenny comes up going, (gasps) water was that cold. He's never to this day let me forget that I didn't tighten the seats down hard enough. Well, your seat's not going anywhere this morning, and I'm glad, glad for that. As I've been at Newington for the last 20 years now, and I never thought I'd be at a church that long, but uh, they've put up with me. God has since, uh, in, a, in the last few days, renewed my vision for that church and uh, given me words of encouragement out of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 25, where Paul says, I have become its servant, talking about the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you 
the word of God in its fullness. I'll turn 60 in January, and uh, I don't know how many more years I'll be preaching full-time, but the Lord just gave me those words, not only to me, but to every preacher, I believe. Keep preaching the word of God in its fullness. Do not hold back. Do not be timid, but preach it for its truthfulness. Treat, preach it for its freedom that it can give individuals, setting them free from the sins of our lives. And preach it for its truth so that it will encourage us and motivate us to be on mission for him. Our current church motto is to reach people for Christ, to disciple people in Christ, and to then release people for mission with Christ. I believe those three things sum up what the church is all about. And I am so glad just to get to come back and spend a few days with you because I believe Corinth is fulfilling all three of those tenets of the gospel. May God bless you as you continue on. It is my joy to have with me today my wife, Kathy, and uh, also my daughter, Kristen, and her daughter, Katie. Uh, her husband, Jason, could not be with us today. Um, he is a fireman and uh, had to be there for those responsibilities. But thank you for allowing us to come just to share a brief memory and to bring greetings to you. God bless you greatly.
I'm very excited as well to have the man here today who I believe, if I understand correctly, and somebody may have to correct me on this, but I believe that he was the very first youth pastor at Corinth Baptist Church. Uh, he served uh, among many that are here today are very excited about him being here, having been their youth pastor, and we are excited today to welcome Mr. Bob Cherry. Well, I want to say as well, as uh, Pastor Mike said, what a, what a joy and a privilege it is to be here. And uh, I'm very honored that God permitted me to serve a short period of time here in this place and do a lot of growing and learning. And I'm grateful for the many patient people, particularly patient parents, uh, that uh, entrusted me with your young people. I now have three children of my own, and uh, I know a little more what you were feeling some of the days when you were trusting your kids to me. Uh, I remember, Pastor Mike, you might recall, we even brought a group up to uh, the Washington, D.C. area to serve on a mission trip uh, with you in, in that area, and what a joy that was. I remember there was probably about 25 or 30 of us, and uh, we toured Washington, D.C., and we had these aqua green t-shirts on. Some of you may remember those t-shirts, and uh, we went all over that city, so much so that I was stopped a couple times by people, and they wanted to know, they said, how many of you are there, like three or four hundred? Uh, they were seeing us everywhere, and uh, that was back before 9-11. You actually could go in and out of the Capitol, and we went into the White House. It was a wonderful, uh, wonderful experience to be a part of that. I'm now serving in uh, California, so it was a, it's a joy to, to be able to come home and uh, uh, spend a little time with my mom and be in the area and come back and be with you as well. Um, when I left here in uh, 90, I believe it was, I went to uh, Southern Seminary and began uh, serving at a church in Seymour, Indiana. Um, some of you may remember Dr. Stuart Silver was in the area, and Dr. Silver had something to do with uh, uh, making that connection as God worked in that situation. Uh, I served in uh, Southern Seminary, or at uh, Seymour while I was in seminary, and uh, once I graduated seminary, I went over to uh, a little place called Avoca, Indiana, uh, just outside of Bedford, Indiana, Southern Indiana there. I thought uh, being a Kentuckian, I could work as a missionary there and uh, try to convert some of those Hoosiers. Uh, we, were there, we were there a little over seven years. I don't know uh, how much good we did converting them to Kentucky basketball, but God certainly blessed, um, blessed our ministry there. Uh, good things were happening. And uh, that's uh, the time I believe Pastor Jake was serving here. He and I remained in contact with one another. Really uh, appreciate his ministry and, and uh, all that God was blessing uh, this church through Jake's leadership. And, um, and then God uh, did a crazy thing. I only thought I was on the mission field in Indiana. He called me to the foreign mission field in California. And uh, uh, we've been out there now a little over 10 years. And uh, God is indeed continuing to bless. And I wanted to share that with you because it's important that you know as you celebrate your 120 years and look toward the future of what God has for you that lives are being impacted in the name of Jesus Christ all the way out on the left coast of California because of this church and your faithfulness to God and the way that you opened your arms to Luann and I when we came here. And as Pastor Mike said, in so many ways we were green and had so much to learn. But I, I remember those times with such fondness and love because I remember a, uh, a church that uh, loved on us, believed in us. I remember when... Uh, uh, Pastor John Metters left, 
the church extended me the opportunity to, to do the interim work, and uh, I stepped into the pulpit, began to preach, and I remember that first sermon. I'm, I'm sure I said everything that I know and some things I wasn't too sure of, and I was probably done in 20 minutes, you know. <laughs> But uh, God continued to, uh, to work in, in that situation, and uh, folks in California could tell you now, I preach much longer than that. But I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try to uh, um, just share a couple of, of stories that comes to mind, one being uh, Johnny Arms. I remember he came up with the idea of donating a hog, and we we're going to have a hog roast. I don't know if you still do that, but that was, uh, uh, that was a, a neat time for us. I had no idea what a hog roast was, but... When they finished with it, it was good, and uh, I, I wouldn't mind having some of that today if that's on the menu. Um, one of the other things I remember about the Arms family and uh, Johnny Mara, one of the families that uh, extended so much kindness to, to me, is Shannon. Uh, in fact, I believe Shannon Arms then, I believe Tabor now, uh, had a lot to do with me uh, ending up here, and Shannon had some pretty serious back surgery uh, during the time I was here, and I remember... Um, at one point, we took the youth group. Some of you in the youth group right remember, we went out to the Arms home and uh, had our youth meeting there so Shannon could be a part of that. Um, I have, uh, as I mentioned, three children. Uh, my oldest daughter, Rebecca, I believe uh, she was born while we were in seminary, so some of you may have seen pictures. I don't know if Rebecca's ever uh, been back, and forgive me, I am using glasses now to be able to see uh, a little better. Um, I have two, uh, two boys. Robert and uh, Ryan. Robert is 18, a senior in high school, and the reason Luann's not able to be with us today, we had scheduled a weekend for Robert to uh, visit some college campuses, um, and uh, so she took my place, and they're actually uh, touring some college campuses there in California this weekend. And uh, my son Ryan is 15, and we're enjoying watching him score touchdowns on the football field, so uh, I get that uh, privilege of uh, uh, being a part of that. Last thing I would mention to you is a story. Some of you may, uh, in the youth ministry at that time, might recall. We had this idea to go to Paoli Peaks and ski uh, through the night. And it happened to be on a Friday night, and there was a football game at Breckenridge County High. And we'd had the students sign up and how many were going and had the transportation lined out. Uh, but we always encouraged our youth and students to invite their friends. Uh, and uh, they did that. And they must have invited everybody at the football game. And I remember coming from the high school and, and coming out this road. And when I topped the hill, I could literally see the parking lot was filled with uh, cars and students. And I knew immediately we did not have enough transportation to get all of these students to Paoli Peaks for this uh, uh, skiing event. And so I began to get on the phone and try to line up transportation, obviously before cell phones, so it was a little more challenging trying to get hold of some. And I, I'll never forget, John Minks was in the group, and uh, some of you may remember John Minks, and John said, my dad's got a van. And that really perked my ears up, because I thought, man, I need a van. Instead of cars, I need vans. I need, I need a vehicle that can haul a lot of students. He said, my dad's got a van. You'd be more than welcome to use it. I said, great, get a hold of your dad, and let's get this thing out here. We're trying to get this trip on the road. And so sure enough, Charlie showed up with a van, and those of you who know the Minks family, they had a business where they hauled merchandise, and this van showed up, not a seat one in the back. It uh, had a driver's seat and the passenger seat, and, uh, and I'm thinking, we, we can't take these kids in a van with no seats. 
but uh, we were pretty, uh, pretty desperate at that point to get on the road. <laughs> See, parents, now is when you find the rest of the story. <laughs> so we loaded those kids, and uh, some of you may remember Derek Staples, uh, my friend who's also a pastor. He was over at Fordsville at the time. He was uh, bringing some of his students to join with us, so he showed up, and he drove the... Uh, the church van that we had here, and I elected to drive uh, the Minks van. We only put boys in the back of it. <laughs> I don't know why we thought that was better, but uh, we had these boys just kind of lined up in the back of this van, laying on the floor, and we began our departure toward Paoli. And as I was driving the van, uh, John was determined that we needed tunes, as he called them. He said, Bob, we got to have tunes. And uh, what he meant was the radio was not working. And he had uh, been in the process of changing out and putting a new radio in this van. And so he is working underneath the dash (laughs) while I'm driving down the road. And at some point, I see sparks fly at which point the dash lights go out. (laughs) And John says, oops. (laughs) Now at this point, we're we're probably halfway between McQuady and Paoli somewhere, close to Corden there. And, uh, And I'm trying to use a flashlight that happens to be in the van to shine on the dash so I can see how fast I'm going. And, uh, we pass a state trooper. And I quickly turned the light on because I wanted to know how fast I was going. I thought, I'm okay. I'm not speeding. But I saw him turning around. And, uh, and when he turned around, he came up behind us with his lights flashing. Now, I know normally they mean red, white, and blue stands for freedom. But in this moment, it didn't seem that way. And so I pulled the van over to the side And I'm praying uh, as this officer walks up to the side of the vehicle. And just as he steps up the side of the vehicle, I'll just let you try to figure out who it might be. But one of the gentlemen in the back of the van, in his best John Wayne voice, says, Hey, mister, put that pin back in your pocket. Such is the life of a youth pastor. (laughs) And I remember just shaking my head thinking, I'm going to kill him. (laughs) But God was in it. The officer laughed. Uh, Thought that was quite funny. As he shined his light back there now (laughs) to see who it was that said it. And discovered we had no seat belts. We didn't even have seats. I began to explain to him where we were going, what we were doing. He saw the other church van, and this nice gentleman said, Well, the reason I pulled you over is you don't have any taillights. I said, Sir, you don't know all the problems we have. I I don't have any dash lights either. And he said, So for those you may not know, that is the same fuse on some vehicles at least, the dash lights and the taillights. 
He said, I will uh, escort you into Corridon. Well, we'll get you some fuses and get you on your way. And it was once again on that day I discovered the awesome grace of God to work in the midst of a difficult situation. We got to Paoli, had a wonderful time. We got home, and uh, as far as I know, nobody was uh, any worse for the wear. So uh, that's just one story of some wonderful memories that I have in uh, having the privilege and opportunity to not only work with uh, what I believe to be some of the best um, youth and students anywhere to be found. Uh, one of the ways you can know that God's working in a situation is many of them would share in some way how I was helpful to them. But I can assure you that I was the one most helped and most blessed by my time here in McQuady at Corinth Baptist Church. Thank you for the legacy. Um, I'm grateful to God that I had the privilege to be just a small part of a few years there. And I, too, am delighted to hear all the wonderful things that Corinth Baptist Church is involved in. And I pray for you as you continue to move into the future. And I hope it's uh, a wonderful future because of uh, some of the faith and encouragement that was instilled in some students and young people who graduated high school in the late 80s and who are now moving into leadership positions in the church and in this county and area. And may God continue to bless Corinth Baptist Church. Thank you. celebrate but we are thinking about you and love you very much and uh, I want you to know that I I'm kind of uh, feel bad that your youth minister lost his job uh, I heard about that but I heard you found a wonderful pastor and God bless you brother Andrew I love you and just wanted to start out by saying where youth pastors came from in Corinth Back in about 1987, a young teenage girl named Shannon Arms had been to a youth camp, and she noticed a church that had a youth pastor. She came back to Corinth and went to business meeting and said, can we have one of those? And the church voted and called uh, a young man named Bobby Cherry. And Bobby had a wonderful ministry uh, of youth at the church, and laid a foundation that is still being built upon to this day. And so we thank God for, uh, for that work early on. And I came uh, to interview at the church actually the first Sunday after Thanksgiving in 1989. And I remember driving down 261 to the church and saying, Wow, there's nothing out here. Uh, is there a church big enough for a youth ministry? And when I got to McQuady and looked, and saw that wonderful church building, I thought, God's doing something special here. And I was right. God was already at work in a powerful way. And uh, early on, I got to meet uh, some of the people uh, at Corinth that made a real impact in my ministry and in my life. And uh, that was, uh, some of them were the WMU group had three different WMU groups, Women Missionary Union, and I met with the oldest group. 
and we'd meet the first Monday of every month at 10 a.m. in the apartment of Grace Lyons. And so uh, Vinnie Tall and Mildred Jolly and Elnora Dean and Ann Squires, and Dorothy Shrewsbury and others and myself would get together and I would listen to those ladies as they prayed for every missionary in Southern Baptist life that had a birthday that month. And they would talk about missions. And I learned this. Missions beat in the heart of the people at Corinth. And that was near and dear to our hearts. And I enjoyed so much those ladies after the meeting they would have me go to Hardy's and get everybody hamburger and a little french fry. Got back with all of those and passed them out. And Grace was worried about if I had enough to eat for lunch or not. And she would ask Anne's, Annie Squires and say, uh, Anne, would you uh, give half of your hamburger to Brother Jake? And of course, Anne, she didn't eat uh, very much. And she said, yes. And she cut off half of her hamburger and gave it to me. And then, made me a little uncomfortable, but Anne would then look at Mildred Jolly and say, Mildred, how about you? Would you give half your hamburger to Brother Jake? And Mildred would go, Grace, I want my hamburger. <laughs> we would all have a little awkward laugh there, and it was enjoyable for me to get to know all those personalities. I love them and remember them and the many others during that time that formed in me some things I truly needed from the Lord in my heart. Uh, those I've mentioned have gone on to be with Jesus. And one of these days, we'll all get to share a real homecoming together in heaven. The hope of this world is Jesus Christ, who has opened a pathway for hope for all of us. And I look forward to that. And I want to bring... Dana in, who loves you just as much as me. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters at Corinth, I sure do thank my God upon every remembrance of you all. Amen. It's a pity you can't see this good-looking row down front here. These are the people came in on, on the special delivery this morning in the horse and buggies, and uh, they are so precious to us. And as we're getting ready to sing it as well with my soul in the first verse, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And I just look across here and I just thank them and all you others that have been such a part of this church to uh, take in the lot. And, and gone with it. It's just such a blessing. It is well with my soul.
Well, I have one more of our uh, former ministers to introduce to you today. And uh, this is a great privilege for me because though he is no longer your pastor in many ways, he is still my pastor. I'm going to ask Dr. David Adams to come. And he's going to share with you for a few minutes about where he is and what he's doing. And uh, probably has some pretty good stories of you guys as well. So uh, you're welcome as, as he comes this morning. I want to make sure I stepped up here really lively because the last time I delivered an entire sermon at this church on this platform, I exited an emergency vehicle going to the hospital. And those of you who are guests or visitors with us, you may not be aware that uh, on that particular Sunday, which was my last sermon here, I'd spent a couple of weeks in China and picked up something evidently. And uh, knowing in advance, I may not make it. I had a stool here and what have you and delivered a sermon and then sat down over here and absolutely collapsed. So if you're wondering whatever happened, that's exactly what happened. That's one of my memories of, uh, of certainly of the service there. And I wanted to make a, an indelible impression on the community as I left in my emergency vehicle. Becky and I left uh, August, the uh, first week in August. It's, it seems like in eternity, and it seems like yesterday, uh, I have about 200 students at uh, Liberty University who have been called by God to be a senior pastor. And as you know, as I've explained uh, to you during this uh, big surprise to me, God called us to go back to Lynchburg, Virginia. And one of the unusual things there is, is that within two weeks of being there, Jonathan Falwell, who's the pastor of the church, was in my youth group. I think I got a few stories to tell about Jonathan like that, turning the switch off in the van and whatever. I'm not able to tell this publicly there. But he hosted a group of pastors uh, that would be the place where we would begin to partner with churches and training of pastors there at Liberty. The very first convocation Becky and I sat in, 12,000 folks in the Vine Center. And uh, lo and behold, on the platform was another one of my teenagers who is now 50 years of age by the name of Jerry Falwell, Jr., who led us in that wonderful group. It was, uh, it's almost surreal uh, to go back to Virginia, now uh, by design being a fourth or fifth on the, on the food chain, of, out of administration, and into the lives of those men, especially who are called of God to be senior pastors. We've had a magnificent time already. Curriculum is being revised. Uh, next Thursday, I'm going to a swimming pool and have 61 pastoral training students stand in the pools. We teach them how to baptize, saying to them, don't learn on your first convert like I did. Uh, we're going to practice here. We're going to practice the Lord's Supper and some other things as well as we also get them plugged into uh, in the new churches there. I don't know if you really want me to tell you some of the memories I have here. Um, as I was sharing with folks coming in, we have come back home today. Now, we've lived in a lot of places over the years, in Virginia and then, of course, Kentucky. But uh, Becky and I quickly, unbeknownst to us, put down some very deep roots here. I'll give you a couple of memories. Eight o'clock service. My oldest son, who survived cancer at the age of 19, now at the age of 36, came forward at the eight o'clock service to publicly recommit his life to Christ. And I baptized him at that 8 o'clock service. A little later, oh, a few services earlier than that, 
Lindsay, who was working in the nursery this morning, came forward as a public declaration of her commitment to Christ. So I know you have a tendency to think the pastor comes to lead you. My, how this church has made an indelible impression upon Becky and me and the family. I do have a few war stories, but I like us, they're two pages long, and I've got names I'm going to name. <laughs> Some of you will wish that I didn't have such a great memory. If we could imagine ourselves somehow, you know that Back to the Future series with Michael J. Fox? If somehow we were able to go back 120 years, do you have any idea that the ones that's listed, I've got a few of them here. You've got to be careful in my eyes, I can't see. Lyons, DeJarnett, William Ball, Withers, Witherford, Miller, Bland, just a few of the charter members. If I could just interview them. You understand World War I has not yet occurred. World War II has not happened. They just have the first paved highway up there in Boston. So there's the road are not here. Well, they certainly don't have internet. They certainly couldn't Google some concern that they have. Uh, and so if I was to explain them as they would begin to launch this unusual, almost overwhelming idea of going from their congregation just a few miles from here, which was still quite a long journey, and plant a church over here near Jolly Station and say to them, well, let me tell you, 120 years from now, as a representative, of what will have happened to this young chartering group. Thousands will have been saved and baptized. Churches will have been planted. Ministers would have been sent. And let me give you a little idea of the culture that will transpire in the years to come. My suspicion when you talk to them about the jet, the airplane, the automobile, if you talk to them about such things as the internet, the cure for polio, my Great-grandmother had polio all of her life, crippled up. Never a cure even in her younger years. Some of the things that we would suggest are kind of boring news today. They would be blown away by the fact that there's no way you're in la-la land talking about what could happen 120 years from now. Well, if I could pick up a newspaper, and maybe the person who's back to future a hundred years from now is that angels unaware that could deliver an instrument something like this. Corinth Baptist Church celebrates its 220th anniversary. Well, there was a big write-up on the paper locally on that one a hundred years from now. But it was a follow-up on Monday's paper. They did a follow-up edition of the church's most notable members. I have a few mentioned here. From a farming county of 22,000, now a city of 2.5 million ranked 18th in the nation. I'm sure they would laugh 100 years ago too at what has transpired here before they built a dam and a lake emerged. Rough River Lake now has a quadrupled, Dottie, Dottie's excited to hear this, in size, it increased tenfold in its shoreline. The master plan was discovered in an old storm cellar and McDaniel subdivision on the city. 
The drawings, originally thought to be that of the nation's third president, Thomas Jefferson, was later confirmed to be that of Bob Miller, <laughs> the great-grandson of the city's founder. Another item and bullet point on that follow-up story, the community had a population explosion as, a, as services related to the discovery of time travel by the quantum leap technology that was developed from a patent and invention of notable historical entrepreneur, Dunk Jolly. In addition, the population was significantly uh, grown uh, by the relocation of a Kentucky Fried Chicken headquarters and its 7,000 employees. The fast food company was brought out of uh, bankruptcy some decades ago by the, by the late Donnie Sanders. No relation to the founder. KFC donated over $3 million last year to the Corinth Baptist Church. Boy, that's a 100 years report, isn't it? Daily flights now depart from various galaxies from the renowned Johnny Arms Intergalactic Spaceport <laughs> located at the edge of our fair city. Over 700 flights depart daily. A second hub is located in Bolivia. <laughs> 750,000 students are taking courses throughout the Jeffrey Robbins uh, Intergalactic University a learning institution that has trained over four U.S. presidents and 613 international heads of states and leaders of foreign countries. The Andrew Rupert School of World Missions and, and Church Planning is the largest school at Robbins University. Though horticultural trades no longer exist, uh, elective courses in primitive lawn care are available to, to foster historical appreciation for its founder. The city is fueled by clean energy reported uh, products, technology developed by the Tall uh, Shrees Enterprises. The Tall family merged with the Shrewsbury family seven decades ago when the nation set aside its Republican and Democratic parties. <laughs> Merging into the current Angus party. Historical doc documents recently recovered near the Falls of Rough archaeological digs reveal that the St. Clair family and its matriarch, Diane, <laughs> drafted a new world constitution that served as the basis for the one-party system that eliminated the rancor political politics that plagued the nations for nearly a century. Corinth Baptist Church, with its 28,000 members and 17 campuses continue to be an influence in the community. Under the leadership of its 42nd pastor, Dr. Grant Stevenson, <laughs> the sixth, the great-great-great-grandson of Grant and Emily Stevenson, speaks at the historical site in McWady while simulcasting via hologram at the other sites. The Nancy DeJarnett Memorial Sanctuary seats 10,500 congregants. The state declared number eight this day to be Corinth Baptist Church holiday by the Kentucky Governor Kevin Tate <laughs> in honor of its historical impact on the community, the state, 
and the United Federation of Planets. If we could go back 120 years, I suspect that as bizarre as some of the things I just said would sound equally bizarre to that pioneering, visionary group of humble farmers and workers. Don't forget that one woodworker, that one furniture owner who gave most of the money to plan a new work. Though some of this is almost ridiculous, but maybe not. Things like this can happen. And 100 years from now, somebody will maybe now pull out Jolly's John Deere tractor that's been kept in archives. And they'll be pulling up a few preachers to some building somewhere. And there'll be former pastors still living, invited to the podium to recall some of those memorable experiences, some of those glorious blessings. And they'll recite what happened in the last 100 years of their history. Now recognizing that presidents have come through the children's ministry at Corinth Baptist Church. Mission agencies are now held and led by those individuals who sat at the knee of grandma and grandpa's at Corinth in Breck County. Entire nations have been affected and influenced and this community was set on its ear because a church refused to go liberal, stay true to the word of God and honor his servants. I think as a representative of your former pastors, I want you to know how blessed we are I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I left all my classes, all my responsibilities. Becky and I loaded up, made the nine-hour drive to come and just see what kind of turmoil is going on in Corinth. Every square inch of every room that you have is being uprooted and relocated and adjusted. For what end? To glorify Jesus Christ. You are in the spirit and the DNA of your founders. To exalt the name that is above every name that every knee would bow and give testimony to the glory of Jesus Christ. And how wise you were, I have to trumpet what Jake said, how wise you were to select. He's not only a leader, but also reflective of you, of your heart and love for Christ. Reflective of the leadership and the families that exist in this church by having Andrew Rupert as your pastor. Already accomplishing so much, quite frankly, historically, in the few weeks he's assumed this responsibility with your support and love for Christ, doing in some cases the unthinkable, the untraditional, the uncomfortable, and deciding to launch out into the deep and accomplish great things for him. I think I can speak for the other 33 or 34 pastors on whose shoulders I have had the privilege to stand. The Corinth Baptist Church is God's church doing great things for him. Thanks for letting me fantasize about why it might be 100 years from now. Put that in the paper. <laughs> I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward. I've been asked to uh, pray over the offering, but if our ushers would come forward, what would be a service without taking an offering, knowing that every single penny, and this is also historical of this church, that those who watch over the financial affairs of our church make sure that every single penny goes to the advancement of the kingdom of our great God and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Father, we are grateful for the ability to give. Thank you for the occasion that has brought us together.
to honor the past and quite frankly reflect on those men and women who have been so courageous as pioneers to advance the kingdom. They spur us on. They challenge us. They inspire us. They convict us. Some living legends right here in the very front row of this auditorium this morning who hold our, our conscience to the word of God that we would make sure that there's only one celebrity. Not a preacher, not a layman, not a deacon, not a Sunday school teacher. One celebrity that's worthy of praise, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we give our tithes, our offerings, and our special gifts to you that this church will have another hundred years to do great and glorious things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask you to open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. This has been a wonderful service. If we were to go home now, I would be completely fulfilled except for my stomach, and we're going to solve that after the services today. If you'd like to stay and eat with us, we have plenty of food and uh, we do have plenty of room, contrary to popular opinion, so please stay and eat with us if you would. Uh, 
It'll be after the service is here, just a little while. My only regret today is uh, we have uh, been working for about two, two and a half weeks on a, on a video highlighting these folks here in the front row. And um, one thing I'm convinced of, one of the inventions of the last uh, hundred years that the devil really had a hand in was the computer. And uh, so the videos decided not to work this morning. We're going to have that available uh, hopefully by next week. We apologize for that. But we really do want, by the end of the service today, for you to have an opportunity to thank these giants of the faith. Right here in the front row today, we have those on whose shoulders we stand. These are giants of the faith who dream big dreams for God, who've attempted great things for the Lord and seen Hundreds and even thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ because they were willing to take great steps of faith. And my prayer for our church is simply this, that those days are not over. That God would give us a similar faith to step out and to do great things for him in our day and in our age. And I want to talk with you about some of those things this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. talked about how our church was founded back in the year 1892, but I would dare say to us this morning that if we really want to see the foundation of Corinth Baptist Church, we need to look a lot farther back than 1892. For we need to look back to the year 30 AD when the perfect Son of God went to a sinner's cross and poured out His blood for all mankind. And three days later rose from the dead so that all who would believe in him could have eternal life. This is the foundation and the purpose of for which Corinth Baptist Church was begun in 1892 and for which it continues here in 2012. And so while we look back and we celebrate the things that have happened over the last 120 years, let us not forget that there are still people to be reached for Jesus Christ in Breckenridge County and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And let us be reminded today, as we jump into Ephesians chapter 2, let us be reminded of who we are as the church of the living God. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word today as we read Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 17. And speaking here about our Savior, the Apostle Paul writes, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You can be seated this morning. Father God, I pray for us. God, I pray that we might be reminded today as the people of Corinth Baptist Church, that we find ourselves standing on the shoulders of giants in the faith. 
those who dreamed great dreams and saw them come to pass because they were trusting in our great God. Lord, we pray that you would remind us today that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And that as we open your word today and we come to this word with fear and trembling, knowing that apart from your spirit, we cannot even understand these things, much less practice them. Father God, would you remind us of who we are in Christ today? That the celebration of this day would be the same celebration as every Lord's Day, and truly as of every day, as we are reminded that we have been delivered from the darkness of our sin and into your marvelous light. That we have been redeemed by the blood of your Son poured out at the cross. Remind us of who we are this morning. That we might celebrate as the people of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just three reminders this morning from Ephesians chapter 2. of Who we are as the church. We were reminded this morning that the church is not a building. The church is much more than just an organization. The church goes far deeper than that. The church is a people. And this people has an identity that Paul speaks about here in Ephesians chapter 2. Who is the church? First of all, we are citizens of the dominion of God. We are citizens of the dominion of God. Paul is speaking here in this chapter to these Ephesians, these Gentiles in the city of Ephesus. And he's reminding them that prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, things were very, very different. Because when Jesus came, he came and he brought peace. Now, not peace as our world often thinks about peace. Not peace that's just simply the absence of war, but a peace that goes much deeper. A deeply spiritual peace. A peace that abides, a peace that lasts. Not like the peace of this world that comes and goes, but a peace that remains forever. What does this peace look like? First of all, it was peace between Jews and Gentiles. Now this is a foreign concept for us as a Gentile congregation. Anyone who's not a Jew is considered a Gentile. And this is a foreign concept for us. But in the days of Jesus Christ when he walked upon this earth, there were two distinct groups of people in the world. There were those who were the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, who considered themselves the chosen people of God. And there was everybody else. There were those who were the people of God, and there were those who were not. There were the Jews, the sons and daughters of God. They considered themselves, and then there was the rest of the world, the Gentiles. And Paul has been writing here about the fact that in those days when Christ came into the world, there was a distinct dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. And it was a dividing wall of hostility. If you were to walk into the Jewish temple there in Jerusalem in Jesus' day, you could walk into a place, we as Gentile people could walk into a place that was known as the court of the Gentiles, the outermost court there in the temple. You could enter into that outermost court. But when you entered in there, you would see the next court into the temple was lined with signs. And everywhere these signs were warning that any who were not of Jewish descent who chose to enter beyond that outermost court were taking their own lives into their hands. 
for they would be killed on the spot for desecrating the temple. Because those who were not the people of God, those who were not of Jewish descent, were not welcome in the place they considered to hold the presence of God, that holy temple. And so there was a dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and between the Gentiles. They did not intermarry, they did not intermix, and when they did, they saw the judgment come upon them, and there were many things that happened in those years. And Paul says, what Jesus Christ came to do, he came preaching peace to those who were close by, to those who were the people of God, the Jews, and to those who were not nearby, those who were far away, the Gentiles, who were considered far from God, separated from him. The dividing wall of hostility between the two, that Jesus Christ came and brought peace. Now folks, we don't have the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles much anymore, but let's just go ahead and say there are many dividing walls today. We find ourselves divided along cultural borders. We find ourselves divided along socioeconomic borders. We find ourselves divided even in the Christian faith along denominational borders. But he came to bring us peace. To tear down the dividing walls. And for us today, when we look back to first century Christianity and we see those walls between Jews and Gentiles being torn down and them worshiping together in spirit and truth in one congregation with one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, as we see them gathering together as the joint people of God, one new nation, new citizens under the dominion of God, let us be reminded today that whatever distinctions... Whatever divisions that exist, they are nothing in comparison with the peace that Christ came to bring. And secondly, beyond peace between Jews and Gentiles, it came to bring peace between God and sinners. Now folks, if you don't appreciate this reality, then you don't understand what it means to be a sinner. That's a word we throw around in church a lot. But I want you to understand that when he speaks about peace between sinners and God, what he is saying is that just like there was a dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, there was a dividing wall of hostility between mankind and their creator because we chose sin rather than submission to the authority of God. Sin means that I have lived in rebellion against God, that I have looked upon the good and perfect law of God, and I have chosen to shun it. I have chosen chosen to disobey it i've chosen literally to spit upon it and say i do not want to go your way i want to do my own thing when jesus christ came he came to preach peace to those who are far away and if you understand what it means to be a sinner this morning you understand that as a sinner you are far from god as a seven-year-old boy, I was far from God prior to 1985's Vacation Bible School when a man named Curtis Griffiths shared with me the gospel. And I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And in that moment, even the dividing wall of hostility between a seven-year-old boy and God was torn down by the peace that only Jesus Christ can bring. Paul reminded the church of Rome, over in Romans chapter 10, he said, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, 
For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Did you hear me this morning? I don't know how you come to this place this morning. Perhaps you come in nostalgia thinking back to times past. Perhaps you come in distress this morning thinking of times present. Or perhaps you come in confusion this morning wondering about times yet to come. Could I simply say to you this morning, this great gospel truth, that no matter who you are, man, woman, boy, and girl, no matter the color of your skin, no matter your educational level, no matter what you've done or not done, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. He came to bring you peace with God and peace with your brothers and sisters, to tear down all those dividing walls that separate us from one another. And He brought us a citizenship and the dominion of God, the very kingdom of God, that we now, even beyond our citizenship in this great nation, even beyond our citizenship here in this wonderful county of Breckenridge County, we have a higher citizenship that will last for all eternity. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Those who have trusted in His Son by faith. Secondly, this morning, not only citizens of the dominion of God, We're also sons and daughters of God. With each step through this passage, Paul goes just a little bit deeper, showing us a more intimate portrait of who we are as the church of God, lest we think we are just some institution or just a group of buildings or just a bunch of folks that happen to get together on Sunday morning when everybody else is out playing golf and going fishing. He says, let me remind you of who you are, church. You are members of the household of God, very sons and daughters of God. And what do you have as sons and daughters of God? First of all, you have access to the Father. Access to the Father through His Son and in the Spirit. This Trinitarian formula, we worship a God who is one, but He has expressed Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here in this verse, chapter, in verse 18, He says, This is the means of your sonship this is the means by which he calls you daughter you have access to the father through his son and in his spirit let's just be reminded this morning that there are things you can do among family that you can't get away with anywhere else i may give you a picture this morning that uh maybe something that'll Cause some of you to think, why did he share that with us? But I'm going to share it anyway. This afternoon, my plan after we get done having a big meal and I'm going to eat plenty of fried chicken and all the stuff that goes along with it, my plan for the afternoon, Lord willing, is that I'm going to go home and I'm going to get out of this crazy get up. Somebody asked me if I was going to wear this every Sunday from now on. I said, no, it takes too long to get on. I like to throw something on and go, but I'm going to go home and get out of this crazy get up. And I'm going to put on my athletic shorts. And I'm probably going to keep on these long socks because they're warm for the day. So I'm going to have my athletic shorts and my white t-shirt and my long socks. And I'm going to look pretty ugly. And I'm going to lay down and take me a big old long nap. And none of you guys are going to see me, but my family is. And guess what? They're not going to care one bit. 
Because that's what dad does on Sunday afternoons, by the way. Dad takes a nap in his athletic shorts and his long socks and his white t-shirt. Now, I'm not going to walk in here looking like that on Sunday mornings, but I can guarantee you Sunday afternoon, that's where you're going to find me. You come over to the house, you'll see. And the reason for that is this. In a family, we also find acceptance. Now, folks, some of you guys need to hear that this morning, I believe. Because you are living in a world that has rejected you. Perhaps you're even living today in a family that has rejected you. You're living in a culture that rejects you for who you are because you may not measure up according to the standards of this world. But when you come into the kingdom of God, you come to the heavenly Father who is your creator. And not just your creator, but he has become your redeemer when he sent his one and only son into the world to pay the price for your sins so that you could not just become a citizen of his kingdom, but that you could become a very much a member of his family and so he calls you son he calls you daughter and he beckons you to draw near to him because you have access to the father now and he says you are accepted there is a place for you among the people of God I would say to you this morning if you fit nowhere else you fit among the people of God Paul says not many of us are wise not many of us are extra specially talented or good-looking Not many of us have a whole lot to offer in terms of what the world sees as valuable. And yet we have something that the world cannot offer us. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Access to our Father God who created us. And we have acceptance that no one can take away. Again, Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 3, For there is no distinction. There's that word again. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if we were to stop there, we are without God and without hope in the world. But he says, he goes on there in verse 24, And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is the message of the gospel this morning. This is the good news on which Corinth Baptist Church was founded 120 years ago. Finally, this morning, we're citizens of the dominion of God, sons and daughters of God, and we are stones in the dwelling of God. Now, if we stop right there for a moment, you would think, well, it was getting really good there for a minute. I like the idea that I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, that I'm living under His dominion. I like the fact that I'm a member of the family of God, that He calls me son, that He calls me daughter, that there was an intimate relationship there, but now you've lost me. Because now you've told me I'm just a rock. I don't really like that so much. But you need to see the beauty of this picture. Before you go away today, church, please see the beauty of this picture. Because Paul is not taking a step backwards in his metaphors. He has not gone to an intimate place and then running away from that intimate place with some strange metaphor about stones and buildings. No, he is taking an even more intimate look at who we are as the people of God, redeemed by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. We are stones in the very dwelling of God. What is this dwelling like? It has three parts here described by the Apostle Paul. First of all, this dwelling has a foundation. 
the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, those who were tasked with speaking the word of God to the people of God. What you hold in your hands today, if you hold the Bible in your hands today, you hold the results of the work of these great men, most of whom gave their lives in service to God, speaking the word of God to the people of God that we might know the will of God and what he would have us to be and to do. And this is the very foundation of our faith. Let us be reminded today, we do not have a faith that is only 120 years old. But we are living on a faith that was founded 2,000 years ago by a perfect Savior who died for sinners and then commissioned His disciples to go out and to reach all nations with this good news, that there is one name given under heaven by which men might be saved, and His name is Jesus Christ. And there is hope in Him. And there is peace in Him. And there is love in Him. And He is available to all who would call upon Him. And the foundation given to us is on one on which we must remain. Church, I've said this in weeks past in our study of the book of 1 John. The day we depart from this great foundation is the day we need to close these doors. Now we can have disagreements about many things. And we will. And we do. But I would say this to you today. Let us be in agreement about the faith once and for all delivered to the saints through the apostles and the prophets. And let us be reminded today, not just of that foundation, but of the most particular and precious part of that foundation. The cornerstone, Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone, Paul says, the very Son of God. Now, there are some who would look at this verse that speaks about Christ being the cornerstone, and they would say, well, the cornerstone is only part of the foundation. And so we can have our faith in Jesus, and we'll add unto it all these other things. And there are many in our day who would do that very thing, distorting the gospel to make it look like it's more in their own image, more in their own liking, more in a way that is palatable to them. Those who don't want to hear about an old bloody cross anymore. Those who don't want to hear about a Savior that gave his life anymore. Those who just want to hear about a God of love and a God of prosperity and a God who looks more like the American dream than he does like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be very careful, folks. Because when Paul speaks here of the cornerstone, he's giving an amazing illustration of who Jesus Christ is. Remember when we talked back at the beginning of this message about the dividing wall? It's as if for generations, for thousands of years, there had been a dividing wall. And one wall was the wall of the Jewish people. The descendants of Abraham, the chosen people of God that had been built up for generations and generations and generations And there was another wall, the wall of the Gentiles, everybody else in the world that had been built up for generations and generations and generations. You go all the way back to Noah as he came off the ark and those three sons. That's where the dividing wall first began. And in between those two walls, the walls of the Jews and the walls of the Gentiles, Paul has said there was a dividing wall of hostility. But when Jesus Christ came and he preached peace and he gave his life at the cross, He was tearing down that dividing wall of hostility. And then he took that wall of the Jewish people. And he took that wall of the Gentile people. And he turned those walls toward one another. And he himself became the cornerstone that would uphold the two of them. And make them one structure. 
Folks, let me say to you this morning, if you remove the cornerstone, the whole building topples. But as long as the cornerstone remains, the building will thrive. Charles Spurgeon, who died in January 31st, 1892, the year our church was first started, he was known as the Prince of Preachers. Charles Spurgeon said it this way about the church. The vessel of the church can never be wrecked. She rocks and reels in the mad tempest, but she is sound from stem to stern. And her pilot steers her with a hand omnipotently wise. Her bow is in the wave, but she divides the sea and shakes off the mountainous billows as a lion shakes the dew from off his mane. Fiercer storms than those of the present have beat upon her, and yet she has kept her head to the wind. In the very teeth of hell's tremendous tempest, she has plowed her glorious way, and so she will till she reaches her appointed haven. Folks, that's the church of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon went on to say, you can never kill the church till you kill Christ, and you can never defeat her until you defeat the Lord Jesus who already wears the crown of triumph. This foundation, this cornerstone, and finally, let us be reminded of the building blocks of this great church. They are not brick and mortar, but they are the very people of God. Redeemed by the blood of Christ. Dead stones brought to life. It reminds us of that day when they were walking into Jerusalem. And Jesus reminded the people And that day he said, If you were to stop praising me, the very rocks would cry out. And here I believe the Apostle Paul is saying to us, You are those very rocks, church. You are those living stones that have been brought to life by the power of God. The Spirit of God indwells you. And as you come together as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, you have become a dwelling place for God. Not just citizens of His kingdom, not just members of His family, but the very power and presence of God dwells in you so that you can do the things that God has called you to do. There are many who would look at the church today and see an organization that has been defeated. For many of our pews stand empty. There are those who would look at the church today and think that we are antiquated and say, well, they just don't, they're just not relevant anymore in the 21st century. But let us be reminded, church, the victory has already been won. We are not a people who battle for the victory. We are a people who battle in the victory. Knowing that we have a risen Savior who is very, in this very moment seated on the throne of heaven. He is the very glorious Son of God. And we worship Him even as we struggle in the midst of this world. 1 Peter chapter 2 The Apostle Peter said this, And you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Church, that's you. You may be asking this morning, 
Well, how do I know if I'm a part of the church that you're talking about? Let me ask you this morning, do you know the cornerstone? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you turned from your sin and turned to the Savior knowing that you need Him? Repenting of your sin means turning away from that which has separated you from God. That dividing wall that has existed between you and God is torn down by only one man and His name is Jesus Christ and He did the work at the cross. It's not about the work that you might do. It's not about being good enough. It's not about church membership. It's not about any of those things. It's about do you know Jesus Christ? And if so, you're a part of the family of God. And if not, this morning, you can become a part of the family of God by trusting Him. Repent and believe is the message of the gospel. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. And in that moment, you have the gift of eternal life that became mine as a seven-year-old boy in Vacation Bible School in 1985. I wish we had the time this morning to hear from these folks in the front row about the day when they came to Jesus Christ. There are hundreds of years of church membership sitting here. But there's something even greater. The redeemed people of God. Who've been bought with the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And you can be as well if you'll only trust Him. We're going to have what we call a hymn of invitation this morning. Basically, it means this. The Bible says in James chapter 2 that we're to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of it. And so I challenge you this morning, having heard the word of God here in this place, how will you respond? If you are not a son or daughter of God this morning because you have not trusted Jesus Christ by faith, you've not repented of your sins and turned to Jesus Christ then I would invite you to do this this morning. If the Spirit of God is leading you, if you are feeling that tug at your heart when you're knowing that God is wanting you to respond to this message, I would invite you to take a step out of where you are, walk one of these aisles. It would be my privilege to take you by the hand. I would not intend to embarrass you in any way, but just to sit down with you for a moment and share with you about how you can become one of those living stones, a citizen of His kingdom, a son or a daughter of the living God. He gave His Son for you. And He asks you to give your life to Him. Could we stand for a moment? If you just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. In the quietness of this moment, we have... We have walked through 120 years of our church's history. There been many stories shared. And many more could be shared, I know. But in the quietness of this moment, as you are seated there, standing now in this place, wondering Perhaps about your own salvation. Perhaps realizing for the first time that you are a great sinner in need of a great Savior. Could I tell you this morning that Jesus is that great Savior? 
and that His promise is true that everyone who calls upon His name will be saved. There is no distinction. There is no condemnation for those who would come to Christ. There is no rejection that you need fear. Just trust Him by faith to do what only He can do. To bring you out of the darkness of your sin and into His marvelous light. Is that you this morning? Do you know Jesus Christ? There is no greater question that I could ask you today. Are you trusting Him by faith to save your soul and to direct the course of your life? Father God, I pray as Your Word has been preached, as your people have gathered to worship you, God, I pray simply today that you would give us the strength and the courage to respond to your word. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing together, I invite you to respond. <laughs>